All right, guys, Friday, the show must go on. I know some people are watching soccer right now. We're in Turkey, comas, all of that jazz. But JM and I are here to crack this Week 12 GPP slate, get you ready for Sunday, climbing to the top of the leaderboards. It is, of course, the Building Block Show with Pete and JM. Let's do it. Peter's one of the greatest depositors I've ever seen. Trust the process. Let's go. I got auto match with Levitan. Bullshit. I just go the other way. In that 66, I went all the way. All the way. If I had 150 lineups, I'd win too. Uh, AP, cold spot, bullets to your head like KD. Bust it, bust it. Bitch, go bust it. And I had sad fights with me in Russia. Hey, everyone. All right, JM, you are, I, you're such a, a traveling renaissance, man. Every time we do a show, you're in a different location, different backdrop in a car, hotels, you, you'll broadcast from anywhere. Yeah. One of these weeks I'm going to do my, uh, when I'm in state in Oregon, I got to travel out of state midweek to enter lineups. So I'll, we'll just do it from like the Oakland airport or something and, uh, <laughs> yeah. and shift things up. Uh, but yeah, I'm in central Oklahoma this week, sitting on the guest bed, uh, with this microphone balanced in my lap. <laughs> ready to bring the heat this week yeah how did uh did you play on uh thanksgiving how, how did it go for you i played uh i played like two percent of my normal volume i got all i was all like uh jazzed up to build lineups and, and got down on wednesday night i was like all right here we go and like an hour in i was like you know what i don't have a feel for what my edge is <laughs> i just i tossed in one lineup and did just took a little break but uh yeah it was a good it was a good uh i, I finished all the way to the left on thanksgiving so you know that's fun to do um, oh, yeah. thankfully very little money in play, but it was a good week. 12 had, um, uh, randomly it was the second time or third time in the last, uh, third time in, in the like, like last five weeks I played the slant, but second time that I finished exactly 41st place with one of my rosters, but I had, um, had like seven rosters in the top 200 in the slant and had a uh, second place finish in the hundred K power sweep. So nice week 12 and, uh, ready to keep that rolling here in week 13 or that was week 11, ready to keep that rolling here in week 12. Yeah. And I mean, keeping it rolling too, you had the call and had pointed it out too about this Josh Adams, Devonte Adams, like one of those guys going for 30 plus points in what six straight games that hit again last week in a big way. And I have a feeling we're going to probably keep that trend rolling again this week. It is so hard to find 30 pointers. Like there, there is nobody, this is why for so long we had a one Vikings rule, like on every roster play, at least one Vikings, because one of Thielen it was one of Thielen, Diggs, or Dalvin would get 30 points. And it's so hard to find a 30-pointer that if you find a, a, a roster, a team, that you have a 33% shot at getting a 30-point score, you just kind of keep hammering that. And right now with the Raiders, we have a 50-50 shot at getting a 30-point score. And what's great is the guy who misses still isn't killing you. You can get yeah. 22, 25 points from the other guy and still win a tournament. So what are, I think we're at six weeks in a row, maybe it's seven weeks in a row, that one of those two guys – has gone for 30 plus points and we've got them playing in Seattle this week. So certainly likely that we see that happen again. And um, yeah, that'll, that'll be a nice little edge here where people aren't playing that as highly as they should. And then we'll see what else we're able to uncover on this, on this kind of condensed week. One of the things I like about this week is everybody is so amped up for the Thursday slate that then we've got this shorter week to get prepped for the weekend and content providers are generally a day behind and, uh, sometimes the top content providers, I won't say who, but last year there was some content that it was like, oh, did you forget that there was a, a Sunday slate? Did you throw this together while you were asleep? Did you have your kid do this? And so uh, a little bit less for people to go off of as well. And so uh, I really like this Sunday after Thanksgiving is generally a really nice slate to play. 
Yeah. And I, it, I think too, yeah, same thing. We don't have the full week of, you know, ownership building, everybody locked in so early, you know, like you said, people turning over their, their three game slate to the main slate later than normal. And not to mention, we also seem to have a ton of injury situations that are <laughs> developing lots of moving parts there. So this does feel like a slate where if you're uh, outworking the competition here that you are going to have a, a nice edge headed into Sunday, um, you know, one thing I noticed just running um, some lineups before we went on is things definitely feel uh, more wide open this week. You know, when I was looking at kind of optimals, I was seeing seven to eight different quarterbacks last week at this time, it was Marcus Mariota showing up at every single optimal. Um, same thing with running back wide receiver really spread out. Are you feeling like this is a slate where we have lots of different options where we can attack? Definitely lots of different options. There's it's a weird week 12 in that there's a lot of salary savings available this week. So we've had a couple of these weeks where guys are chalk who wouldn't normally be chalk and they're only chalk because salary is so tight and it's just what's available. And this week there are a lot of, there are like six or seven running backs under 6k who you could viably consider. And there are a lot of wide receivers under 45, 4,600 who you can viably consider. Uh, I'll also say though, that there's really five quarterbacks who are kind of on my main list this week. And not to say that it won't, that that list won't expand and then condense with like a different group, but I've been, you know, really like we've got enough people working on stuff at OWS and working on the Thanksgiving slate that I was pretty heavily focused on this slate from Monday afternoon onward. Usually Monday's my one day off, but this week I just kind of started early on the, on the Sunday slate. And so from early in the week, it's been like, it feels like, yeah, there's 11 games or 22 teams, but there are a lot of decisions already made for us. And then because most people have less of a feel for this slate, I don't think that most people will have that clear sense. And, like you said, injury news that we're waiting on and value opening up. So uh, definitely a slate that I think gives us an edge as sharp players and people who are watching the show and kind of getting prepared along with us will will certainly be in better position in the field. And as always, right, it's not about knowing who the good plays are. That's not the edge in DFS, but there are plays, you know, when, when we can find Justin Fields at 5,300 and the field's not on him yet, or when we can find Joe Burrow last week and the field is not on him in that spot because the, the Vegas total doesn't stand out to projection systems, doesn't stand out to our sharpest competition. That certainly gives us an edge. And so uh, there should be, you know, we still need good roster construction, good DFS strategy, good theory, but there should be some plays this week that other people just don't quite get to as much as they should as well. And uh, salad allocation stuff this week that's going to be really interesting. So yeah, I, I love this weekend and pretty excited for the next couple of days getting getting my rosters together. Do you have a feel for how you think kind of the field is going to be building? Um, I know today with Raheem Mostert looking unlikely, I'm guessing Jeff Wilson is headed toward being one of the most popular plays on the slate. Uh, it does seem like Gino is going to be uh, very popular along with Mahomes, of course, that game has that really big spread. So I'm curious how people are going to want to play that. Maybe they go Pacheco. Do you kind of have a feel or do you think overall construction will be pretty spread out as well? This is this Mostert thing is news to me. What's going on there? Uh, Mostert, they said he's trending toward uh, not playing. The quote, I think, from the team was it was going to be an uphill battle for him to play. Okay. Week. I mean, so I think you're already Jeff Wilson versus the Texans. Yeah. Yeah. We were already trending toward Jeff Wilson chalk as it was. And so that should just elevate the uh, interest in him. I think that one of the things that we'll see this week is people saving, at, and this is Friday thoughts. And this is, I haven't really looked at ownership yet. I haven't done a ton of projection runs since 
uh, like maybe Wednesday on this slate. But I think what we'll see is there's a lot of value at wide receiver and a lot of value at running back. And, and then the, the lower cost quarter, like the Tom Brady, the Geno Smith, the Derek Carr, like these are the game environments that really stand out among quarterbacks. And so I, I think that we'll see people having pretty free range to save salary. And I don't necessarily know exactly where that those salary savings will go, but there are a lot of options for those salary savings. And then people want to allocate that extra money. Well, Austin Eckler is clearly the most attractive, highest priced running back, but he's kind of coming off of this weird usage game where he's obviously going to be popular, but I don't think he's going to be mega chalk. And so where that points people toward is these high priced wide receivers, which is Tyreek Hill. But here's a crazy statistic for you. Who has allowed the fewest wide receiver catches in the NFL? The Houston Texans. Who has allowed the sixth fewest wide receiver yards in the NFL? The Houston Texans. Who has allowed the fewest wide receiver touchdowns? Tied with the Broncos for the fewest wide receiver touchdowns, the Houston Texans. Not because it's a tough matchup, but just because teams are always in the lead against them and it's so easy to run against them. So you pay 8,800 for Tyree kill. And what are your chances of getting a 35 point score from him, a 40 point score from him? Maybe you get there, right? But if he's super tall, and it's one of those spots too, where if everybody's thinking this way and Tyree kills coming in at five, six, 7% ownership, well, then it's like, well, let's just go overweight the field on him because he can still hit for a monster game. But if he's coming in, if, if people have all these savings and then it's like, well, where do we spend this? Let's spend it at Tyree Kill, and he's coming in at 25% owned. He's the kind of guy who you can say, okay, well, let's pivot away from him. Let's hope that he ends up with 23, 24, 25 points and do something different there. So I think that the savings on this slate could end up being a little bit of a trap because there's not a clear place to spend that money. And so I think that being a little bit different in salary allocation is going to be a place that I'm interested to go this weekend. Obviously, you know, we had where we are content providers were also normal American humans. We had Thanksgiving yesterday. And so we are kind of like, both of us are like a day behind where we would typically be on a Friday. So I don't want to say any of this, like, Hey, this is clearly what I'm doing, but I think that this is what we'll likely see is some salary allocation that gives us a little bit of an edge here. Yeah. And I mean, it's a lot of stuff too, as far as the salary allocation, like one big one is going to be like, if we get Greg Dortch at 3,100, he's going to project extremely well without Rondell Moore, but he hasn't been practicing. So I don't even know if we're going to get that one or not. I wanted to ask you about another situation that's kind of fragile with the Justin Fields injury and just kind of how you're thinking about that game environment, either with or without fields. And then, you know, also through the lens of Mike white, getting the start for the chiefs. And I know Garrett Wilson is going to be fairly popular at 4,300, especially if we don't get a guy like Greg Dorch at 3,100. So how are you thinking about that game and potentially like even Trevor Sibian versus uh, Mike white or a banged up Justin Fields there? Yeah. Real quickly on Greg Dorch. One thing that's strange to me is it's a thumb issue, but he hasn't been participating in walkthroughs. And you would think that, with a thumb issue, if they think he's going to play, it's not like he's going to bang up his thumb in a walkthrough. So uh, it does seem like he's trending toward not playing, which would move DeAndre Hopkins into the slot and and Marquise Brown likely to be activated, but on a pitch count, if he plays, it seems like DeAndre Hopkins will see hefty, hefty volume in that game. And, and then you've got these, because of the salary savings at running back, you have these kind of invisible running backs in like the 6K range, like the James Conner type guys who yeah. we never want to play James Conner, but realistically, who else are they going to use in this game playing against the Chargers, bad run defense? So there are some interesting things to look at there. In the Jets and Bears game, it's one of those spots, it's very similar to last week where we were saying at OWS, hey, hopefully, actually two weeks ago as well, we were saying hopefully Ezekiel Elliott is active and we can play Tony Pollard at low ownership. 
expecting that Zeke has a smaller role and that Pollard can still explode. And we ended up seeing that last week, right, where Pollard was under 10% owned and still put up 30 plus points because he got 21 touches. And so it's one of these spots where in my mind, I'm hoping that Justin Fields plays so that I can play the Jets defense at low ownership. And it's not that I don't like Justin Fields. If you're watching this for, for more than the first time, you know how much I like Justin Fields, but he's still been taking a lot of sacks. He's still been turning the ball over. And this Jets defense, as we've talked about over and over again, is for real. And nobody wants to buy them. Nobody wants to believe that they are legit. Nobody wanted to play them last week against Mac Jones and the Patriots at 2,800. And everybody's instead playing the Steelers at 2,300, the Texans at 2,400. And the Jets are just a few hundred more going against Mac Jones. And, and they put up 10 points while these other defenses put up three, four points. And so it's sort of a similar thing this week where I think that if Trevor Simeon's active, then people are going to be like, oh, Trevor Simeon on the road against the Jets. Let's play the Jets. But if it's Justin Fields, I think that it's still a great spot to play the Jets defense and, and sort of fade that Justin Fields. And maybe Justin Fields soaks up some ownership away from some of these other quarterbacks that we like. So I'm hoping that Justin Fields is active in order for me to not play him and in order to play the defense against him. As to the Jets situation, I was digging into this this morning. So we all remember Michael Carter having these hefty target roles yeah. with Mike White. But what we all forget is that Ty Johnson got almost as many targets and catches as Michael Carter in those games. Across the three games where Mike White played most of the snaps for the Jets, Ty Johnson and Michael Carter combined for 37 catches. I mean, that's that's absurd. That's unbelievable. 37 catches between the running back, like at the running back position across three games, that's over 12 catches per game if you're bad at math. And so, uh, yeah, Michael Carter this week, I think is really interesting. And uh, yeah, certainly Greg Wilson, but if, if the field is heavy on Greg Wilson and maybe not as heavy on Michael Carter and a lot of different running backs in this sub six K range who are attractive, then Michael Carter becomes pretty interesting to me as a guy who, not that he's going to be low owned, but uh, you know, if we didn't have Garrett Wilson on this offense, if we didn't have Jeff Wilson available this week, Michael Carter is the kind of guy who could be 35% owned and instead he could be 12, 15% owned. Uh, so yeah, Michael Carter will be an interesting guy. I mean, I certainly like Garrett Wilson as well, but there are some different ways that we can approach that game this week. And I think that we can expect the Jets to kind of lean on the run game. And then in the past game, we know that Mike White's going to look for those running backs. Yeah. Yeah. And that one was a little tough for me to figure out, uh, because Reeves also pointed out Lord Reeves on Twitter that, you know, the, the wide receiver room for the jets when Carter were and Ty Johnson were getting so many targets was pretty bad. You know, those, that was the Jamison Crowder era stuff too. So there might be a little bit of noise there of not so much Mike white, um, loving to check down to running backs and just more yet no other options of, of who to throw to. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. I love Garrett Wilson as a player. I do not like playing him at chalk with Mike white at quarterback. What a other kind of really interesting spot this week is I feel how people handle the Chiefs. You know, they have the second biggest implied team total on the slate, massive 16-point uh, favorites now against the Rams here. And I, I want to say traditionally we've seen these spots before too where people get scared off of playing the Chiefs passing game because they're worried about them taking the feet off the gas, not playing much in the second half. And I also am starting to feel some excitement around Isaiah Pacheco. I got like nine questions about it on the radio this morning from people with their starting lineups. So I'm curious, like, how are you thinking about the Chiefs in this spot where their opponent um, looks fairly inept? It's a really interesting spot. And we've seen all season people don't play Patrick Mahomes at the ownership that we would expect. 
And I think part of that is Travis Kelsey is the clearest stacking partner. He's so expensive. It's such an expensive stack. And then people say, but if I don't go there, I don't know who to choose among the other pass catchers. And if it were a spot, uh, I was talking to uh, my nephew the other day, about who watches the show? Shout out to Keegan. Uh, I was talking to my nephew who's gotten really into DFS this year uh, about this the other day. And I was saying, what's interesting is that if Patrick Mahomes were 10% owned, well, then you'd have to account for the fact that in, a, let's say, a 2,000 entry contest, there's 200 rosters that have Patrick Mahomes. Somebody in that contest is going to have Mahomes paired with the correct wide receiver. But because Mahomes is always like 2%, 3% owned, it's not even like you're getting burned. You're not, you're not constantly seeing, oh, Mahomes at the top with the right wide receiver because so few rosters have Mahomes that so few have him paired with the right guy. And so it is very interesting, but it gives you this real edge that if you end up with Patrick Mahomes and the right pass catcher, you're in really good shape. It was interesting to me that Patrick Mahomes uh, over under four passing touchdowns this week is like plus 150 for over two and a half passing touchdowns. So they're basically saying like betters are saying, oh, he's going to throw under, he's going to throw two passing touchdowns or fewer. But then if the Chiefs are implied to score four touchdowns and the Rams are top five run defense have given up five rushing touchdowns to running backs all year, do we really think that Patrick Mahomes is not going to throw three touchdown passes in this spot? And so it becomes very interesting where I think that everybody's kind of looking at this of like, okay, well, the Rams have the lowest a dot against them in the NFL. They kind of force these short area throws. And yet Patrick Mahomes can come out and have these big games against these opponents. Patrick Mahomes came out and did it. He threw three touchdown passes against San Francisco. Who's only allowed six other passing touchdowns all season combined. Right. And so uh, Patrick Mahomes can certainly come out and put up 300 plus yards. He can certainly come out and put up three or four passing touchdowns in this spot. And I think also we'll see so much interest on the Kansas City defense. It's a great play. They're at Arrowhead. They're playing against, we don't even know, Sean McVay's being kind of cagey about who's going to play at quarterback for the Rams. But uh, Perkins or Walford, either way, it's a great spot for the Chiefs defense. And then nobody wants to play Patrick Mahomes with the Kansas City defense. And so it pulls even more ownership away from him. So from a standpoint of what can win you a tournament, like what can put up a tournament winning score, with very low ownership. Patrick Mahomes definitely becomes very interesting this week. And if you can find the right wide receiver to pair with them, the great thing is they're all inexpensive. If Kadarius Tony ends up missing this week, you've got Sky Moore. He just Moore's officially be got ruled out. Yeah. Okay, great. And so we've yeah. got McCole Hardman is on IR, right? And so, I mean, yep. that really condenses what we have here for Patrick Mahomes to throw to. And we know that Pacheco is probably only going to catch one or two passes at the most. So you're talking about a yardage and touchdown back against a top five run defense that's allowed five rushing touchdowns for running backs all year. And then Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in football, then serves as leverage off of that. In other words, he's taking away points from the Pacheco rosters. And so, yeah, Patrick Mahomes is definitely a sexy play this week in terms of just not just production, but in terms of what clears out a path to you for a first place finish uh, and, and change up your salary allocation too. Because once we get above these the Geno 6K, the, the Tom Brady 5,800, uh, the Derek Carr is like, I think 5,700, right? Once you get above that, it's like Kyler Murray 6,800. And you're like, yeah, maybe. And then you got to go all the way up to Mahomes, right? And most people aren't going to pay for Mahomes. So you just have a very different salary construction than everybody else. And where we talked 10 minutes ago about, hey, maybe we don't go to these savings, right? And we allocate salary differently. Well, this almost forces you to do that instead of paying up for Tyreek Hill, you're paying up for Patrick Mahomes and you kind of shift up what you're doing. So uh, yeah, it becomes a really interesting spot this week to consider Patrick Mahomes and, and clear out that path to a first place finish. 
Yeah, and I love that you mentioned the point about the Chiefs defense because they look like they're going to be the most popular defense by an absolute landslide. Like I'm seeing 30% right now. We always know in small field that can get even higher than that. At 2,800, they're just going to jump off the page as the best points per dollar play. But if the Chiefs D doesn't get a touchdown and and Mahomes is the one doing all the work, like, man, that also seems like a really nice way to leverage that defensive ownership. Um couple other spots I want to get your thoughts on, and you wrote about some questions in the Fantasy Life newsletter this week that I thought were really interesting ones here. I'm I'm uh, obscuring the first one because that one might have to do with our building block that we're going to build around today, and I love to build suspense, of course. But this second one here I think is interesting with how many moving parts the Bengals have heading into this game. We did get official word that uh, Joe Mixon is going to be ruled out. So Samaj P. Ryan's going to get the start. And we have Jamar Chase as a game time decision, despite the reporting say he had a good week of practices and had no setback. So how are you thinking about this spot? The Titans have been very good against the run, um, but the through the air might look like a path here. So how, how are you feeling about this for the Bengals? Let's start from a volume perspective. Okay, so the Bengals are, I think it's their, they're averaging 37.3 pass attempts per game. The league average is 33.5. The Titans are facing over 40 pass attempts per game. The uh, only teams, the only teams that have not thrown at least 37 passes against them have been the Giants and the Texans. The Giants threw like 21 passes tried to run the ball all game. And then the Texans just literally didn't have the ball all game. Every other team has thrown the ball at least 37 times. If we go back to my MLB DFS days, the way that we typically want to calculate something like this is how much do the Titans boost league average uh, production or league average pass attempts in this example. So the Titans boost league average pass attempts by over 20%. And if you boost the Bengals average pass attempts by 20%, that puts them up to 45 pass attempts it's not unlikely and that now we've got joe mixon's going to be out for this game as well so we already have a Bengals team that throws the ball third highest pass rate over expectation in the nfl they average over 37 pass attempts per game the average team against the titans averages 40 pass attempts per game which is the most in the nfl because again top run defense in the nfl teams face them and they just say well why would we try to run on this and the Bengals are already saying why would we try to try to run the ball when we have Joe Burrow and we have these pass catchers. So we should expect the Bengals to come out and throw the ball all over the yard. One thing that I kept saying last week over and over and over again was, would it surprise us? This is week 11. Would it surprise us if Sunday night ends and Joe Burrow was the quarterback that you should have played this week? And it was a game Pittsburgh versus uh, Cincinnati. The game total opened at 42.5, got bet down to 39.5. We know that all of our competition that leverages projections and ownership, they, they lean on Vegas lines heavily. So to them, this is not standing out to them. And we can look at it from our side of knowing football and saying, yeah, but the Bengals are going to pass. And yeah, but Joe Burrow is going to probably smash here. And so last week, Joe Burrow did end up being the way to go, right? Joe Burrow was, you know, I, my, Roster that finished second place out of 740 in the in the 100K power sweep, Joe Burrow, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Stack. And so when we look at this offense and understand how they like to play and we look at the, de the Tennessee defense and understand how they filter opponents, we should expect the Bengals to pass a lot. Now, this also comes with the caveat that Mike Vrabel is one of the most opponent-specific coaches in the NFL. So we can look at the, the talent on the Tennessee secondary and we can say, I don't see how they can stop the Bengals if the Bengals are passing a lot. And yet... Every once in a while, Mike Rabel comes up with a game plan that 
the Bengals don't expect either, and that's how they end up slowing them down, right? The Chiefs scored only 20 points against Tennessee, and they threw the ball. Patrick Mahomes threw the ball 68 times in that game. Kansas City was only able to score 20 points. So it's not like just because the Bengals are passing a lot, they're guaranteed to put up a bunch of points, but it does become extremely interesting this week. And once again, it should be a spot that gets lower ownership than it should because Vegas is not giving the Bengals the credit that they deserve, right? And so uh, we saw week three, Devontae Adams played against this Titans defense, five catches, 36 yards on 10 targets. But the week before that, Stephon Diggs put up 47 fantasy points, DraftKings points against this Tennessee defense. So that's one of the great things about this Tennessee defense is they're so opponent-specific that if their opponent-specific plan kind of breaks down, the opponent can just have this monster game. So Joe Burrow is kind of this wide range of outcomes type guy this week where we can definitely bank on a lot of pass attempts from him. And maybe those pass attempts lead to a disappointing game or maybe they do a blow up game. So uh, Burrow's a guy who I'll be very interested in in tournaments this week. How do you think through the the chase situation? Because normally I'm definitely pro, hey, if they're active, they're good to go. You sometimes get a discount with these guys coming back from injury. And yet I'm also a little spooked from that situation a few weeks back with T. Higgins where he was banged up, but then off the injury report. And then he played like 10 snaps in that game. And it was like, well, why wasn't he on the injury report if he only played 10 snaps in this game? So how are you thinking through Jamar Chase, where his health would be at if he is active? And, and would you trust him in this spot? That's a great question. And I don't know that I have an answer. And I also don't know. It's one of those things where do we try to predict something or do we use our understanding of DFS strategy and DFS theory to just make the most profitable decision? So it's almost like if the field is too scared to play Jamar Chase, well, I'm not scared to miss out on Tyreek Hill this week. Not to say that I won't have any Tyreek Hill on large field play, but I'm not scared to miss out on Tyreek Hill this week. Uh, Devontae Adams can certainly pop for a really nice game. DeAndre, uh, DeAndre Hopkins can certainly pop for a really nice game. But then we get down to Jamar in pricing. We've done Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, T. Higgins, uh, D, Debo Samuel, Debo Samuel, who this offense has so many weapons. They're favored by nine and a half points. It's not like we are scared that Debo Samuel is going to put up a 40 pointer on us. Uh, Jalen Waddle's in the same situation as Tyreek Hill. So it's like, well, if we're paying up at wide receiver, these are kind of a couple of the guys to consider, T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. If the field is scared to play Jamar Chase and he's active, then that's a spot where I'm comfortable going overweight the field. Or if the field is like, hey, Jamar Chase is out here, he's the guy to play, then I'm comfortable swapping over to T. Higgins and saying, yeah, but what if Jamar Chase doesn't get all the snaps? So when we don't have the answers, what I want to do is play uncertainty the way that we're supposed to play uncertainty. When uh, a guy is uncertain and low owned, but has a lot of ceiling, you want to kind of play that guy. If a guy is uncertain and high owned, then you want to move away from that guy and find what the leverage is. For sure. That makes, uh, that makes complete sense. And I bet we'll get some more reporting on that situation by Sunday as well. The last kind of macro situation I want to dig into that I feel like has a bunch of moving parts. We already kind of hit on it a little bit is just this Cardinals team right now where they could potentially be without both Rondell Moore and Dorch, but they're also potentially getting Marquise Brown back in this game. Um, it's a pretty fun matchup here against the Chargers, who are also going to be without Mike Williams. How are you thinking about the Cardinals and specifically just this entire game environment? This game environment could... I mean, it could disappoint. We've seen Cardinals home games disappoint. We've seen the Chargers really underperform this year. But now that Keenan Allen's back, that makes a big difference in the chart in the Chargers avail uh, in the Chargers' ability to move the field. Right? It's hard to score points if you can't put together drives. 
and Keenan Allen such a big part of them keeping their drives alive. And so Keenan Allen plus Josh Palmer plus Austin Eckler, I would take that over Keenan, uh, Mike Williams plus Josh Palmer plus Austin Eckler, right? And so yeah. we can definitely see the Chargers have a really nice offensive game here against this Cardinals defense, and the Cardinals do a good job in response. And so DeAndre Hopkins, a guy who I'm typically like – I'll let everybody else play DeAndre Hopkins. I'll stay off of him. Well, this is a week where DeAndre Hopkins could end up seeing 15 to 17 targets, especially if Greg Dortch is out. And so, yeah, this is an offense that I'm interested in. I would probably prefer Kyler Murray if they have at least one other healthy wide receiver besides DeAndre Hopkins. If we can get uh, Marquise Brown and we get reports like, hey, he looks good and he's going to be out there for a lot of snaps or even Greg Dortch. And and that allows Kyler Murray to kind of throw these short area passes to him and, and hit uh, Hopkins on the perimeter, but if it's uh, Robbie Anderson plus DeAndre Hopkins, I'm less likely to pull the trigger on Kyler Murray. But if they have a stable of weapons here, Kyler Murray becomes very interesting as a guy who the field is finally pretty much off, which yeah. allows me to finally sort of be on him. Right? I've I've been way underweight Kyler Murray for the last I don't know three years, but now we get this point where the field is finally catching up to that, and so I can say yeah, but he can still hit. There's still a reason why everybody wanted to roster him for so long. Uh, and then DeAndre Hopkins is is a guy who, when we look at sort through the high priced wide receivers, uh, he certainly stands out among what's available. What is your thought on uh, Trey McBride um, you, specifically in this spot? If both of those slot receivers are out, you know he's been getting a ton of playing time since Zach Ertz has been out, but he hasn't necessarily been earning targets at a high rate. I'm curious, like how you think of the puzzle pieces for a guy like this who came in with a nice prospect profile, first tight end taken in this draft class, but hasn't earned targets right away in the same way, say a rookie tight end like Greg Dolchich has. Yeah, I mean, how often do rookie tight ends earn targets, right? It's it's so rare. Uh, he's not a guy who I'm going to talk down. He's mm-hmm. not because he could he could certainly like roll, just roll driven. He could pop for 13, 15 points. He's also not a guy who I'm going to be scared that he's going to bury me. And with how much value is available this week, that's not necessarily, you know, David Njoku is 3,600 or Mark Andrews is on this slate. Uh, there's certainly other places that I could go at tight end and and not feel like, oh man, what if Trey McBride ends up putting up a 25 pointer at a low price tag and ends up burning me? But if somebody's like, oh yeah, I really want to play Trey McBride here, or I want to play Kyler Murray and stack him with two guys, I'm certainly not going to argue against that play, I guess is where I land pretty pretty lukewarm one way or the other on that one. Yeah. You mentioned, uh, Mark Andrews, uh, you know, he's finally healthy. It would appear Lamar Jackson has been a big disappointment from a fantasy standpoint, just have not seen a ceiling game from him in a while. Although I was reading, uh, my buddy, Pat Corain's walkthrough piece on NBC sports edge today. And he started to get me a little excited about this spot for the Ravens. How are you thinking, uh, about them here against the Jags? I think we talked about this on the show last week, but Lamar Jackson, only five games since the start of last year, over 23.1 DraftKings points. All five of those games were 35 plus DraftKings points. All five of those games were combined totals of 56 or more. Four of those five games were combined totals of 60 or more. So if I'm playing Lamar Jackson, and this is just across the board, if I this is just an understanding of how the Ravens want to run their offense, how they want to call a game. If I'm playing Lamar Jackson, I am playing him in a game stack, betting on this being a high scoring game. So I'm totally fine going to Lamar Jackson. The question isn't, do I play Lamar Jackson or not? The question is, how do I play Lamar Jackson? And I'm going to side trail here real quickly. And just to hit on this from a standpoint of, you know, we have a lot of people on here who are not 
OWS subscribers. And so just to hit on like this, what we mean by this roster construction stuff of what clears out a path to you for first place. Uh, last week, I highlighted Jacoby Brissett as a guy who was worth considering an MME build, worth playing in large field tournaments. But he was playing against Buffalo. And we know that the Browns don't want to pass the ball unless they're forced to pass the ball. So you need Jacoby Brissett to be trailing in order for Brissett to put up a tournament winning score. And yet if Brissett is trailing and he's putting up 30 points and Josh Allen's putting up 35 points, you don't really gain an edge. You gain a little bit of salary savings, but if Josh Allen's putting up 35 points at massive ownership and you're getting 30 points from your low owned quarterback, you're still kind of behind the field because out of this 40% of rosters that have Josh Allen, somebody in that group is going to have a better pairing outside of, of Josh Allen than you have on your one Jacoby Brissett roster, even with those little bit of savings. And so in order for Jacoby Brissett to be on a tournament winning roster, what you needed was not only Jacoby Brissett to hit big, which would mean Jacoby Brissett being behind, but also Josh Allen to disappoint. And so any Jacoby Brissett roster that I had last week had Devin Singletary on it and then Dawson Knox or Gabe Davis. So again, not Stefan Diggs because with Stefan Diggs, you're basically saying Josh Allen probably has a big game. And so it was Brissett plus Singletary plus Knox, Brissett plus Singletary plus Gabe Davis. And it's these little things like this in roster construction that give us the big edge of like, what's the story that you're telling? How does this end up being a first place roster? So carrying that over to the Ravens question, it's can Lamar Jackson hit? Absolutely. But that's not the question that we should be answering once we start putting him onto a roster. The question is, how does he hit? How does this end up being a tournament winning roster? And the way it ends up being a tournament winning roster is almost certainly one or two pieces from the Jags hitting as well. So that would be the way that I would be looking at this is can Lamar Jackson hit? Absolutely. Is he going to be in my MME pool? Absolutely. Is he going to be on my tighter builds? Probably not. But if he hits, if he hits, it's going to be as part of a game environment where something from the other side is hitting as well. And that's the most important thing in my mind is paying attention to how you build that Lamar Jackson roster. Cause we all know he can hit for a big game. We just have to understand how him hitting for a big game actually gets you to first place in a tournament. Where are you at as far as with those elite tight ends this week, Kelsey and Andrews, I know you've talked a lot about how when you use Kelsey, you use Mahomes because they're just so directly correlated. Is it similar for you with Mark Andrews and Lamar this week, or are there spots you would maybe use Mark Andrews without Lamar? Yeah, I'm totally fine using Andrews without Lamar because Lamar derives so much of his value from rushing. And we've seen games where Lamar throws the ball 23 times and Mark Andrews has eight or nine targets. Whereas Travis Kelsey, if he has his monster game, he's, he's a big part of the offense, right? But he's not a Mark Andrews sized part of the offense. And so Patrick Mahomes is still going to be like passing the ball to other people. Patrick Mahomes is going to have a big game. If Travis Kelsey has a big game, we have a pretty large track record of Mark Andrews scoring 23 points, 25 points, 28 points, Lamar Jackson not having that type of game himself. Uh, now, obviously, if Mark Andrews goes for 40 points, Lamar Jackson's probably hitting. And so it's totally fine to pair them. But it's also fine to play Mark Andrews without Lamar Jackson because Lamar Jackson can, can score 22 points at his high price tag while Mark Andrews scores 25, 28 points and, and helps you win a tournament. Yep. That makes sense. And uh, I mean, again, it's another week where those elite tight ends, you know, from a projection standpoint are just massively separating from the field. I guess you have George Kittle maybe in kind of a tier two by himself there in the mid range. But then after that, you're in the Foster Moreau, Hayden Hurst, Greg Dolchich, Higby territory. So that'll be another interesting decision point this week to see if people find themselves paying up for elite tight end or if they end up liking the value down low i don't know if looking at early ownership projections it does seem like the field will be pretty split on that 
Yeah, people haven't really been on this hammer the high price tight ends bandwagon this mm-hmm. year. Uh, Kelsey's had lower owner. I mean, Kelsey's had all these multi-touchdown games and still people are not getting on him. And then Mark Andrews, kind of a couple of down games, has chased everybody off of him. So I do think it will get uh, palatable ownership on these guys this week. Yeah. Before we uh, start uh, with our building block, and uh, I know people referencing a, a piece of news here of uh, Leonard Fournette officially listed at, as doubtful, which spoiler wow. alert, I will tie into our, our building block here. We were in before the news, though, Jay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We, we were listening to this band before they got mainstream. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was drinking. Hey, I was drinking price. LaCroix. I was drinking LaCroix before everybody else. Really? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there you go. And then, and then I was the mainstream guy drinking. <laughs> um, but real quick, what what kind of deals do you got? You guys got a you guys got a seventy five percent off deal at OWS this week, right? Yeah, Black Friday or or Black Thanksgiving week, I guess you could call it. But seventy five percent off rest of the season that ends uh, after football on uh, this next Monday, eleven twenty eight. So uh, if you have not jumped into rest of season yet, it's a good time to do it. Yeah, what is it? It's is it gobble gobble. Gobble Gobble is the code. Uh, pretty creative there, right? There you go. Uh, gobble Gobble, head over there. Get your OWS DFS Inner Circle package as usual. If you want to just test drive a weekly pass, you can use uh, promo code Pete to get 20% off of that. And also because I noticed that you are legally required to do some kind of Black Friday sale right before the show, I did go ahead and put a 15% off discount in the store here, uh, d- uh, the promo code Deposit Friday. This is the overzet.myshopify store. I pinned the code as well in the chat. So if you're in the chat, you follow that link. It should automatically apply. So that's across the store. You can get your Cash Game King, your Please Scoop Me Bro, uh, please, uh, Don't Dupe Me Bro, your Hand Builder, your Opto Bros, hoodies, shirts, Thought Leaders, all good stuff there across the board for all the shows. We got the Badge Bros stuff. I think John shared a 20% off discount for the Badge Bros. So uh, you can go hit him up for that. Um, but get your merch, get your OWS subs. And JM, it is time for us to build. All right, we are back. We have some building blocks here. We do have a special uh, week 12 rake-free contest from our friends at DraftKings. Made it slightly smaller. Oh, no, we also 350. Have- 350, you know, JM, I just, it pains me too much to have to try to promote and fill one of these on a Sunday. So I'm just, uh, I set the bar low, I guess is what I like to do. (laughs) Uh, But take advantage of this and I will be reviewing as always these lineups on my Monday morning review stream. But JM, we were talking before the show about this Bucks team. My interest was peaked. Like we said, this was before the Leonard Fournette news, but what are we cooking with here? Well, okay. Teams go on by. What do they do? They self-scout the first week. There's no need to prepare for the team you're facing in two weeks when you're on by. And so they self-scout the first week. And a team like the Patriots all these years with Belichick and Brady, they would typically come out of the by looking much sharper than in the past. Well, we saw Brady carry that over his first year with the Bucks when he went into the by, and nobody was looking at them as a serious contender. And then they came out and were hot the rest of the year and ran the table in the playoffs won the Super Bowl. I'm not saying they're going to do that this year, but we should see this Bucks team look better than they have looked. There is certainly potential for that. And what's great about this spot, 
Vegas implied team total only 22.75. So projections are not going to be heavy on this team. More than likely, uh, ownership will be a little bit low on this passing attack. And they're playing a team that's in Cleveland that's bottom three in DVOA, bottom three in points allowed. So we're going to start this with a classic quarterback running back wide receiver stack where we just say this team scores a lot of points and we get those points so we're gonna go brady rashad white mike evans and we're going to do a david and joku bring back which is going to still free up salary for us david and joku a guy who uh should i think he played 25 snaps last week should play more snaps this week uh should be pretty healthy by this point uh, and he's a guy who really should be priced at about 46, 4,800, kind of like Dalton Schultz, where we've seen him down at this 38, 4,300 price tag. But it's like if he'd been healthy, his price tag would be higher. And so uh, David Njoku is a nice way to get the bring back, a nice way to get a lot of upside here. And if if the Bucks come out of the bye looking like maybe not like the old Bucks, but a lot closer to the old Bucks, you've got Brady's underpriced. You've got Evans is a little bit underpriced. You've got Rashad White is a lot underpriced. And then on the flip side, you got David Njoku is underpriced. So uh, really nice starting point, frees up a lot of salary, gives us a lot of lot to work with. Uh, this all ties in nicely together. We're a game environment where uh, all three of these bucks are hitting as a game environment where the Browns are passing more and David Njoku has a shot to put up some good points. You mentioned Njoku being underpriced. I'm just curious, do you attribute kind of Harrison Bryant still being fairly involved against Buffalo as just working Njoku back in coming off of injury and you expect his kind of uh, snap share and targets to really uptick this week? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he played, I think, like I said, I think he played 25 snaps last week. And that's just part of you come off of a high ankle sprain it's your first game back. And, you know, uh, two weeks ago, we were hammering play Harrison Bryant at 2,700 with Njoku out. And and it was like, you can get this guy at sub 2% ownership at 2,700 because he put up a zero the week before when he had the starting gig and nobody wanted to play him. And then, and then now two weeks later, you know, people are going to be a little bit concerned playing Njoku because it's like, oh, Harrison Bryant was still getting work last week. Uh, this is a team that uses a lot of tight ends they shift up a lot of personnel groupings but uh njoku is a key piece of their offense and so at 3600 he's a guy i'm pretty comfortable pulling the trigger on down here at the lower tight end range yeah um i uh i like this build here too i love the idea of coming out of the buy in, in your perfect world for this rashad white play like what would you rather have rashad white with leonard fournette in the lineup so at way way less ownership or Rashad White having this backfield to himself, but at much more elevated popularity? A billion percent, I would prefer Leonard Fournette to be active. A billion yeah. percent. And I would prefer, in fact, for him to be, well, now he's doubtful, but like questionable game time decision and then active on Sunday because people don't like uncertainty. Mm -hmm. uh, people love certainty. So the fact that we know that, you know, you can see the enthusiasm as soon as it's like Leonard Fournette's doubtful and people start getting excited to play Rashad White, whereas realistically, and that that's like our human nature, right? It's like, oh, we know this guy's a good play now. But in terms of tournament play, in terms of trying to win a tournament, what, what really excites us is this play feels a little bit more nerve wracking. This play is a little bit scarier to pull the trigger on for us because that means everybody else is more scared to pull the trigger on it. But that said, I mean, this has been Leonard Fournette at like 6,600, 6,900 has been justifiable as a play all season as one of like the slowest, most broken down running backs in the NFL. Rashad White is a more talented running back. They're going to like, this is a team that likes to put one guy out there on the field for 80% of the snaps. So uh, Rashad White is is very sharp chalk. And in fact, I'll go ahead and say Jeff Wilson's very sharp chalk as well if Raheem Mostert's out. It's like it's so easy to get into this box of saying, oh, this guy's high owned. And so I shouldn't play him. 
But as we often talk about, there are high on guys who are likely to hit and you kind of have to ride up the field with those guys and be different somewhere else. And so uh, this is the type of roster where I wouldn't mind playing Rashad White and Jeff Wilson. Our salary allocation is going to be similar to everybody else so far, but we can look for ways to be different on the rest of this roster. Uh, and, and, you know, we have a lot of salary to work with. And there are a lot of different directions that we can go from here where we know a lot of people are going to try to maybe go cheaper and then go higher priced. And we can look for different ways to do things on this build than what everybody else is going to be doing. Just separating like stack context and stuff. How do you think about Rashad White versus Samaj P. Ryan? Because I do think those are going to end up being kind of the two popular cheap running back plays. Do you, do you lean White there? Yeah, I mean, if if Samaj Piran hadn't scored three touchdowns last week, I don't think the people would even feel like he was in the conversation. You're talking about the number one run defense in the NFL is allowing, I think, the second or third fewest running back rushing yards per game in the NFL, facing the most pass attempts per game in the NFL. Obviously, Piran is going to be involved in the pass game, but it's not like Ramondre Stevenson where he's getting all these schemed looks, right? Samaj Piran is going to be involved in the pass game three catches, four catches, five catches. If he goes above that, that's kind of a fluky outcome. I think Chris Evans, Chris Evans is going to be healthy this week. And Chris Evans will mix in a little bit. Uh, touchdowns are much likelier to go uh, to Rashad White and Samaj P. Ryan. So Samaj P. Ryan is a guy who realistically this week won't be on my radar. I'll, I will have little to no Rashad White this week. He certainly won't be on my tighter builds. And as always, that's not to say that he can't hit. That's just to say that the percentage chance of him hitting are going to be lower than the field perceives. And so that's a guy where I feel like I'll find an edge by not playing him. So I, I guess the next thing I want to ask you, are we at, you know, max or min, min one, Devonte Adams, Josh Jacobs. Do we, we got to stick with that rule here. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I'll probably this week, I said last week that if they were playing anyone, but Denver at Denver, I would have, 100% of my rosters would have one or the other. I ended up with about 70, 60 or 70% of my rosters last week had one or the other, and that was at Denver. So uh, certainly this week we can pick which one we want, which one we think will be lower owned. Uh, it's I, I don't know if you've looked at any ownership yet. I have not. I would kind of guess that Tamonte Adams, since he's hit recently, is going to be the guy who's higher owned. People will want to play Kenneth Walker and won't want to play Josh Jacobs on the other side. But basically whichever guy's lower owned – Given how we've started this roster, whichever guy's lower owned, uh, I'd be happy to play them. Or we could even play both guys and a bring back from the uh, the Seattle side. I, all right, we could give it, that a shot salary-wise. Yeah, back to your question. It actually looks like Josh Jacobs uh, is going to be the more popular of the two right now, early ownership. I'm seeing over 20% for him and down at 14%. For Devontae Adams, and I think that's just because Josh Jacobs is a slightly better points per dollar play um, right now based on early projections. So I'm completely fine going Adams. I mean, do you think we have the salary to fit both? Uh, we can see. Let's see. Let's throw them both in. And if we're talking, this would have to be kind of like a sub 2K entry tournament where I, where I would want to play both guys. Um, yeah, I mean, we do defense and there are cheap pass catchers available, though we can't get a bring back from Seattle, which really you need in order to complete this story. So I guess we're not going to end up right. playing both on this roster. What's interesting here, Jacob's a little bit higher ownership projection right now, but I think a three running back build is probably going to be a lower owned build. So Jacob's with Rashad White, Jeff Wilson is probably going to be a little bit lower owned. So we could really go either way and feel comfortable that we're getting uh, kind of a, like some differentiation on this roster. The only thing I guess I disagree with there is I'm I think with this running back value I think three running back builds are going to be the Will most be popular. popular. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And and I'll say on something like that too like I'm way less attuned 
to industry chatter than somebody like you is. And so I'll definitely defer to you on that one. Um, and I think, you know, another thing too that we can think about here is we want to Seattle bring back, not just because we're playing to Montana, but because of the game environment expected there. Uh, but there are different ways that we could do that, right? I, do you think people would have Kenneth Walker on a roster like this with Devontae Adams. That's one way that we could go, uh, or we could go Tyler Lockett and just pull the trigger on that one. Yeah, just from early ownership projections, Kenneth Walker, I think, is going to be one of the most popular uh, plays on the slate. Um, although that was before both this White and P. Ryan stuff has opened up, so maybe he comes down a little bit. But I think Lockett will be way less popular than Walker. Um, and, and we can even go, you know, DK Metcalf tends to get lower ownership right now than Lockett. So either of those guys, basically like, yeah, we start out with somewhat of a chalky build. I don't think most people have the full bucks stack, but we still want to differentiate a little bit because of what we're doing at running back. So it's almost like, Hey, wherever we can go lower owned here is what we want to do. Yeah. Right now, unfortunately, I'm not seeing a tie break. I'm seeing 8% for both uh, Metcalf and Lockett. So we can, I love those numbers though. 8% is, is, I mean, for guys who can put up 30 plus points and, and be differentiators on the slate. I really like those numbers. For sure. Um, so let's see. If we find a defense, we can figure out what we're working with for our last flex. Have you taken a peek at any defenses you like this week? Yeah, and this is – I mean, we know that we don't want to play Kansas City on this roster. Yeah. Kansas City is a great defense, but great, great defense special teams option this week. But just given what we've done at running back, we know that we'll see a lot of Rashad White, Jeff Wilson, Kansas City defense. And so a uh, couple things that we could do, we could go – uh, to the Jets defense, because we we would think that they would be lower owned. It could certainly be a defense that outscores Kansas City. Or we go to one of these high-priced defenses. One of the things that I really liked last week was the Ravens, the Patriots, the Eagles. And all, all of them, I said, these are defenses that can score 20 points, and people won't be on them because people don't like playing the expensive defense. So among the expensive defenses, we have uh, San Francisco is an attractive one. I think that they're the most attractive one. And then Broncos on the road against Sam Darnold, although if that game stays close, we would expect the Panthers to primarily be playing that game on the ground. So uh, either way, we can go there and, and we still, you know, we're in this range of wide receivers that there are viable options. Probably if we go to the Jets, we have a better option at wide receiver, um, 4,500. So that gives us a little bit more flexibility here in this flex spot. But either way, I, I just want to go different from the Chiefs and I want to go a defense that can put up 15 to 20 points if everything comes together. For sure. Yeah, uh, I completely agree with that. I guess I'm trying to think, you know, looking at this spread here, obviously I think the best, you know, play right now under 4,500 would be Garrett Wilson, just as far as uh projection. But I'm curious, you know, if we're going down further and we think this is a pretty flat tier and we think the combo of getting up to a defense like the Niners and we're not losing much at 3,800. So do you have any uh, other punts that you really like this week? Well, I have a question too. How many people do you think are going to get? I do like Traylon Burks a lot as a as a okay. punt this week. Um, but if if we're sitting here on White and Wilson, I wonder how many people uh, would have White, Wilson, and Michael Carter, which is just another interesting way to consider going. And I think that if we go down at defense quite a bit, man, we might not have enough twenty four hundred. Uh, <laughs> see who's those down three here. Don't feel good. <laughs> All right. No, no, scrap that one. Uh, but that would be an interesting thing to play around with. But yeah, no, yeah. Traylon Burks then would be the guy who I would want to put in here. I mean, uh, a lot of upside. And I think that he's the kind of guy who, you know, you see that uh, red eight next to him, his name for the matchup. And people are going to kind of be like, well, I don't know if I want to go here. But if we expect the Bengals to pass a lot, then we know that there's a chance that the Bengals 
are taking a lead. The Bengals are expensive enough with enough opportunity for the Titans to keep them from having a huge game that having Traylon Burks doesn't mean that we need a Bengals pass catcher. And so Traylon Burks uh, going in there as that guy at 4,200 is a really interesting way to play things. Nice. And do you think in this, um, you have the salary to get up to Bucks Seahawks commanders, although I don't think any of the, I don't think Seahawks or Bucks would be in play with us. It does seem like jets would be by far the best play. Yeah. Jets are the best play. And if they're coming in with like, if they end up coming in with super high ownership of Trevor Simeon starting and their ownership starts going up, you consider the commanders. Although again, we're looking for sacks and, and turnovers, which is harder on, t- on a team that doesn't throw the ball a ton like Atlanta. And so uh, harder for the commanders to put up a huge game, but they would be the team that I would go up to if I'm saying, uh, okay, the Jets are super popular, and so I want to go do something different here. Yeah, this is a nice lineup. Another, you know, it, it does go to show, like you said, I, you know, I put this in my sheet, and I know we're going to have a lot. You know, the Rashad White ownership is going to come up for sure. Uh, but this is an extremely low-owned lineup, you know, both the product and cumulative, despite having, you know, Rashad White and Jeff Wilson, who will end up being perhaps the two most popular plays on the slate. But I think using them in a Brady stack, using a Najoku bring back, um, some of these combos of players are, are going to keep this lineup, I think, very unique. Yeah, and it's, you know, my main roster last week, it, it completely bombed, but my main roster last week had Diggs and Justin Jefferson on it with Josh Allen. And I spent hours and hours trying to figure out how to build a sharp roster with Josh Allen and Diggs and Jefferson because Diggs was going to be popular. Jefferson was going to be popular, but it was so hard to, and Josh Allen was obviously going to be the most popular quarterback on the slate, but it was so hard to fit all three of them onto a sharp roster together that you just knew that if on a, we kept saying all week last week, the 30 point scores are going to be rare. And so if Diggs puts up 30 and Jefferson puts up 30, you know, so few people are going to have both guys that it ends up being such an edge. And so when we can move outside the box of individual ownership and think more about the combinatorial ownership, then we can really get some of these more popular plays that are really sharp, but just do things differently that gives us that path to first place. Yeah. And do you feel like to going back to the Brady thing, I know some people were uh, uh, not liking the play or whatever, which is, which is typical for tournament plays, but I would say like the opportunity cost at quarterback this week doesn't seem massive you know we have Lamar and Kyler who have both kind of struggled to hit their ceilings we have Mahomes who could you know put this team away in the first half um obviously Tua and um Gino are going to be popular but it doesn't seem like you're sacrificing a lot in that mid-tier range at quarterback this week no yeah we're 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 not losing out on a guy who can run for 60 yards and a touchdown we're not missing out on that type of guy so we're missing out on Gino throwing for 303 touchdowns. We're missing out on Tua throwing for 303 touchdowns, but we can very much poke holes in those ones, right? And so Tom Brady, can he throw for 303 touchdowns? Absolutely. And if you don't think that he can, then you haven't been watching football for the last 20 years, right? Like he can come out of the bye and have a really good game against a bottom three defense. And so, uh, and, and, and like we always say, this is, we talk about this in terms of how to put together a roster. If you don't like Tom Brady this week, then flip off Tom Brady and go with Geno Smith and do this some way different. But uh, the main thing we're looking at here is what's available on the slate and how would we how would we put it onto a roster that can win a tournament? How can we put it put this on a roster that has a path to a first place finish? Uh, and that's how we would build this one and be something similar with Geno Smith, right? Swap Geno Smith in there. We already have a Seattle pass catcher. We already have the Raiders bring back. And so then you just go a little bit of a different direction with how you build this one from there. But, um, but yeah, and if you if you think that the Dolphins are going to come out and throw the ball all game, 
uh, against a team that nobody does that against, then play Tua and, and stack him with two of his guys. You know, that'll be uh, probably higher owned than it should be. But if that ends up getting lower ownership, well, now it's like we've talked about. The ownership goes lower. Now you want to go overweight on something like that because it can break the slate. The other thing, too, that I think always gets lost in the conversation when you have like a knee-jerk reaction to a player or whatever is with DFS, it is always price contextual. And it's the same thing a couple of weeks ago when we were excited about Kenny Pickett double stacks. And it was like you could spend less than 15K in salary on a Kenny Pickett double stack. You don't need him to throw four touchdowns and 400 yards for that block to pay off. And when you're looking at a 5,800 Tom Brady and a $5,100 Rashad White, you don't need, you know, vintage Tom Brady in this spot. You can get 75% Tom Brady and he still probably could pay off that salary. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and then you throw in uh, Mike Evans and you're at what, 17.6K in total salary. You need 70 points from these guys. And and Brady to Evans can go for 60 and Rashad White can put in 25 of his own, right? This can very easily be a 5X type of stack on a week where we might not see any other 5X stacks. So uh, yeah. And like we said, go a different direction if you don't like the plays, but this is largely about how we put these onto a roster together because it is almost never about the plays. It's almost always about how you are clearing out your path to a first place finish and how you're outmaneuvering the field from a strategy perspective. Yeah. And I also like it because I think it's going to be a very, you know, Rashad White is going to end up being very popular, but I have a feeling that Tom Brady with Rashad White is going to be very, very not popular. Yep, <laughs> it love would it. be my, my read on that. Yeah. Um, JM, appreciate you uh, making time here on Thanksgiving week. Appreciate all of you guys hanging out. Truly uh, thankful uh, to do this show with JM every week, with you guys to hang out in the chat. Uh, have learned a lot this year. Had a blast um, talking about this slate today. Any other final words on your end, JM? No, who knows? This could be our last uh, show for a few weeks, depending on baby status. But uh, if not, yeah. we'll be back next week. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Due date is a week from today. So we could definitely, I, I would say it's probably like less than a 20% chance we're doing a show next week, but you never know. You never know. We'll figure it out. Um, but if we happen to not see you guys for a couple of weeks, I hope you all crush these tournaments. I'll be hanging out in the discord regardless. Hope you guys all enjoyed the rest of your black Friday for JM. I'm Pete. We'll see you guys at the top of the leaderboards. 